say it again. If we do what we do for the Lord and for no one else, it'd uh, be a lot easier when uh, things happen, circumstances change, folks come and go. It is the reality of life. And the things come up, people get sick, folks travel, that's part of it. A lot of times folks probably could be and just are not in the house of God, lots of things. But at, at the end of the day, we do what we do for Him. That's all that really matters. And uh, took me a long time. I'm to be honest with you, a long time. Uh, after I started preaching, announced my call, the Lord to bring me to the place that I realized I was doing what I was doing for Him. It was not to see results. Of course, we want to. And uh, we want to see folks saved. We want to see the people get help. I want to see folks come to the altar, but ultimately, if I preach for all of those things and none of that takes place, then I go home defeated. But if we preach for God and do whatever we do, not just preaching, we preach or do what we do for God to get the glory, it doesn't matter what else happens. As long as the Lord gets the glory, we can go home and know that we've done what we were told to do, called to do, meant to do, in whatever capacity that we serve Him. The Scriptures say, Whatsoever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord, and not to men. And uh, that too also encompasses the word we use for for. We're doing what we do for Him, not for anybody else. And uh, I'm glad to know that this morning and thank the Lord for the privilege and the opportunity to be in His house. Trust everyone had a good week this week. And time spent with family if you were able to do so, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to assemble together again with you in the house of God. The book of Hebrews chapter 1, if you have a copy of the Word of God this morning and want to find your place, will be in the book of Hebrews chapter number 1. I realize that we were in the book of Hebrews on Tuesday night for our midweek service in the chapter number 13, the last chapter and uh, tried to deal with what was on our heart by the help of God about the altar and about it being in Christ. And uh, the Lord just kind of brought this scripture to my heart this week. So I was praying, asking the Lord about the service this morning. And so we'll read again from the book of Hebrews, this time the first chapter, <clears throat> and try our best to give you what's on our heart for the service today. If you'd pray for us that the Lord would help us. Hebrews chapter 1, if you'd like to stand with me, out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God, I begin reading in verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, 
This day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world. He saith and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith who maketh his angels spirits. And his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, And the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I thought about these verses as the Lord began to deal with my heart about the service this morning. Then I thought about it this morning in light of everything that was said in the Sunday school hour. I'm glad the Lord knows what's to come or what's to be ahead. And He knows how to link all things together. And it was mentioned this morning, if you weren't here in the Sunday school hour, about the fact that John identifies all people who do not confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, as an antichrist. And that is how we identify any religion that isn't a cult or is against God, is any religion that will not confess that Christ is equal with God. Or that Christ is God in the flesh. Of course, we know that that same John is the writer of John's gospel. And he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so John's very quick to identify that Jesus is the Christ and set him apart from all others, for he is apart from all others. Now here we are in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. There's some debate about who the author is. I personally believe that it's the Apostle Paul. I don't think it makes very much difference. We understand that God is the author. He just chose men to be the human penman. But here the writer of the book of Hebrews is very quick to identify or separate Christ from all others. And of course he's going to use chapter 1 to establish the premise or establish the thought that is going to carry through the entire epistle and that is that Christ is far superior and everything we have in Christ as New Testament believers is far superior than anyone or anything else. 
superior to Judaism, superior to the law, superior to the rites and the rituals and the ordinances of the Old Testament covenant, superior to the high priest of the Old Testament, superior to all sacrifices of the Old Testament. Everything that we have in Christ is superior to all others because Christ is superior to all others. He makes the statement and makes the differentiation between Christ and the angels. And he said, under which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, of this day have I begotten thee. He makes the differentiation between the way he spoke in days gone by to the prophets and then to the people to how you and I have communication through God or to God and from God is through Christ. He said in times past, God spoke to the prophets and they to the people, but in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his son. And so he is superior. And so it begins to go down through the scripture. And he said he hath appointed him, that is his son, capital S, heir of all things, by whom the son also he made the world's. And so the writer here is identifying the fact that God the Father and God the Son are inseparable. They always have been. They are now and always will be. And he said he's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. In other words, as John said, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I think it was the disciples at one time, while Christ walked the earth, said, show us the Father. And Christ said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. For I and my Father are one. And so, I'm trying to get somewhere this morning, if you'll just bear with me upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And then he begins to talk about them being made, uh, he being made so much better than the angels and the conversation uh, between the Father and the Son versus uh, the conversation between God and the angels. But verse number eight is where my heart is this morning. If God would help me, he said, but unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God. So he is identifying uh, the Father in speaking to his Son is identifying him as equal with the Father. He says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. In verse number 11, he speaks about the heavens and the earth, that they shall perish, but thou remainest. In verse 12, the same as of Esther, shalt thou fold them up, talking about the heavens and the earth, and they shall be changed but thou art the same, and thy years fail not. Now, as the Lord began to deal in my heart about this scripture, there were two things that came to my heart. And that is in verse number one, or verse number two, when he made the mention of the phrase that we use very much in this time that we're living in, and that is last days. In these last days, 
has spoken unto us by His Son. Now I've said many times and I'll say again this morning the word last days has become synonymous with this day that we're living in but the, the term last days is very broad and literally uh, last days began at Pentecost when the Holy Ghost came in power uh, filled the apostles and Peter preached that thousands were saved that literally ushered in the last days for the church. And so we've been in the last days since Pentecost. But we look around in our day and we're seeing things that we've never seen before. And you don't need me to stand up here this morning. This is really what God's been burdening my heart and dealing me heavy about this week. You don't need me to stand up here and take the time to tell you how bad it is in our day. It doesn't take much common sense to understand how bad it is in our day. And I'm afraid as preachers, I preach to myself this morning, I'm afraid as preachers, we have majored on telling people how bad it is in our day. And it has led to this attitude of defeat and discouragement among the people of God because we have been sold a lie that because it is the last days and because our days are so bad then we don't have any hope. We can't do anything. The church is just meant to exist and barely skate by and get through these last days and all we're to do is look for the Lord to come and get us out of here. I'm afraid that's not so. I understand that we are to look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior as Paul wrote in the book of Titus chapter 2. That is our expectation of hope. It's that He is coming. He made us a promise. He said, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Paul said, he that shall come will come and he will not tarry. We use unbiblical terms and I'm just going to preach this morning I know this may not seem like a Sunday morning message but it's what's on my heart and I don't know anything else to do but follow what's on my heart we use unbiblical terms and we say if the Lord we say we'll do such and such or we'll meet if the Lord tarries his coming the Lord's not tarrying his coming the Lord already the word tarry means to go beyond a space of time and Paul said he's coming and he will not come and he will not tarry he's going to come and the reality is God's not biding his time God has a time mark drawn somewhere in the sands of his time and when that hour comes he's coming and he will not tarry but until then, He has birthed the church and given us the earnest of His Spirit and His Son dwelleth in us in the person of the Holy Ghost. He hath given us power. The Bible said He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And so we're not here just to bide our time. We're not here just to Get out of here. There is coming a day that either by way of the grave or by way of the air, we're getting out of here. But until then, there's a work to do. Until then, there's a job to fulfill. Until then, there's a work in us that we're to work out and show others what He done in us. 
And I thought about all the things that are being heard and all the things that are going on. And it's no wonder. It's no, and I'm going to preach my heart this morning, what God's put on my heart. It's no wonder people are discouraged. All they hear on the news is bad news. And all they hear on the radio is bad news. And all they read in the newspaper is bad news. And when we come in the house of God, I, I, they hear what I would say sometimes is bad news. Uh, preachers just want to major on how bad it is and how bad off we are and how dark our days are. You don't need me to preach that to you this morning. We know how bad it is. But what about some news worth hearing? That's what's on my heart this morning. Some news worth hearing. I'm glad there is some in this book right here. There's some news worth hearing. I'm going to tell you what's on my heart. One thing, but because of that one thing, it'll lead to other things. What's on my heart this morning is in verse number 8 and verse number 11 and in verse number 12, and that's the fact that he's still on the throne. I'm glad this morning he is. And that's some news worth hearing, that he's still on the throne. Everything is running well in heaven. It does doesn't matter how bad America's getting. I understand. We're headed for hell at a breakneck speed. We're so far away from where America was began. Politicians are going so far in the opposite direction. But I'm not here to preach that to you this morning. We know that already. We had understanding and knowledge of that before we came in the building. But what I am here this morning is to tell you that God, in spite of it all, that God's still on the throne. He still has all power in heaven and earth. He's still ruling well. He's still doing all things well. And as the preacher said, he's still real good at being God. He'll take care of his own. And David said, I've been young and now I'm old. He said, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. I'm telling you, it's the same today. God always has. God is now. And until he comes again, he always will take care of his own. He's still on the throne. What does that mean if He's on the throne? In verse 8, God the Father is speaking to the Son and He says, Thy throne is forever and ever. What does it mean that God, that Christ, is still on the throne? Well, if you have a throne, it means you have position. And Christ is still very well occupying His position. You say, what is His position? He is above all. There's none like unto Him. We didn't vote to put Him in His position. And we can't vote to take Him out of His position. It doesn't matter how many false religions come along in the world. And I know in the day and era that we're living in that it kind of steps on folks' toes to talk about these mainstream religions. But I'm telling you, anybody that does not put Christ in His rightful position, it doesn't matter how many of them there are. 
it's not going to take him out of his position. Uh, they can preach till they're blue in the face, write all the books they want to preach, uh, want to preach, convert all the converts. They want to convert, bring everybody over their side, uh, build big buildings, reach masses uh, by thousands and millions. Uh, but it does not matter. He's still on the throne. He's still occupying his position, and his position is above all all things. He's above all principalities, above all powers, above all dominions, above all devils, above all angels, above anything that you and I could ever go up against. There's a greater power working in us and that's not ourselves. That's not the goodness in man. That's not us picking ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's not us living right. That's not us trying to walk right. That's not us being holy. But that's the power of the Lord. That's above all. That sits on the throne. He's occupied in our heart and because he sits on the throne of heaven and he sits on the throne of our heart that we're saved and that he gives us power to overcome through his power. That is right. The Bible said this is the power that overcometh even our faith. And if you said the scripture faith is a gift of God. Faith does not originate in man. Faith is not natural to man. Faith is supernatural. And it's bestowed unto man by God. And so the power of faith that He puts in us, that gets its power from Him, whose position is above all, is how we overcome in these dark days. I'm here to tell you He's still on the throne. And that means He's got a position. But it don't just mean He's got position. But to be on the throne means... He has power. And His power is not like anybody else's power. Everybody else, every other ruler, every other individual, maybe I should have said this, under position. There's a lot of people that claim the name King. And there's a lot of people that claim the name Lord. But my Bible says that He is the King of of kings and he is the Lord of lords and there's nobody like him nobody else has the position that he has and so therefore no one has power like he has power there's a lot of people that claim that I have power and there's a lot of people in the world today and I'm trying not to preach on all the doom and gloom and the badness cause it's on my heart that we don't need to but I'm telling you this morning there's a lot of people wielding power and using their power for awful things Things. But I'm telling you, their power's limited. Their days are numbered. And there's coming a time that they're going to be cut off like the grass and they'll be remembered no more. But we serve a God that's seated on the throne in that position above all. And He has power that's not limited. He has power that's unsearchable. He has power that'll never be cut off. His power will continue through all eternity and will overcome by the power of the Lord that sits on the throne. All these others that claim to have power. I got to reading the Word of God and the Lord got to do in my heart. It was mentioned this morning in the Sunday school hour, the word ordained. And in Romans chapter 13, the Bible said, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for the powers that be are ordained of God. And he's talking about state rulers and government rulers in that specific 
uh, chapter in that specific context. And what the writer there is saying is that government rulers are an extension of the power of God. They don't have God's power. They are not God's power, but God manifests His power in them unto us. God ordained them. The word ordained means to go under the authority of another. That God, the reason we're to be subject unto higher powers is that the office, it doesn't matter, I want to say this while I'm here, it doesn't matter who holds the office, it doesn't matter whether we agree with them or not, but the powers that be are ordained of God. And we respect the office whether or not we respect the man or the woman or whoever it is because we understand that God gave the authority of the powers that be over us. But their power is limited. And God immediately took my heart. I think it's in the Gospel of John in that record when Pilate st- or when Jesus stands before Pilate. And Pilate's asking him all these questions. Are you the king of the Jews? What have you to say for yourself? And the Bible said that Jesus answered him not a word. And Pilate could not understand. He had never tried a criminal before that hadn't tried to get out of their crimes or tried to get out of their guiltiness. But he was not a criminal. He had never been with a man like this man. It's like the soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. And the Bible said they dropped their swords and their spears and came back empty-handed. And the only evidence or the only answer or the only reason they could give is never man spake like this man spake. And the reason no man had ever spake like him is there was no man like this man. And he was not just a man, he was the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. Jesus stands before Pilate. Pilate says, are you really who you say you are? Are you who they say you are? Are you the king of the Jews? Are you a criminal? Have you done anything wrong? What do you have to say for yourself? And he don't answer him a word. And Pilate said, don't you understand I have power to crucify you or to let you go. And at that moment, Jesus never answered any of Pilate's questions. He never answered whether or not he was king of the Jews. He never answered whether or not he had done anything amiss. He never answered anything of himself. But when Pilate said, I have power over you or to crucify you or to let you go, Jesus quickly returned the answer, Thou hast no power over me except it were given unto you from above. In other words, he said, you may have power, but the power you have was given unto you by my Father. And because it's given unto you by my Father, it was also given unto you by me. And the reason I stand here quiet before you today is I have power over you. And so I'm using my power to use your power to bring about the will of my Father and that I should be crucified and give myself a ransom for all mankind. That's what Christ was saying when he said, you have no power over me except it were given you from above. Right. And actually Jesus went on to say, so therefore he that brought us meat unto thee hath the greater sin. Jesus told Pilate he was just fulfilling the will of God and that God had brought 
It's in the book right here. And as much as we don't like to think about it, and it's just like what was said this morning in the Sunday school hour, if we were to choose the one, if it was up to us, to choose the one to preach at Pentecost, it wouldn't have been Peter. But all through this Bible right here, the Lord has set up kingdoms, and He set up rulers, and He set up governors. It's in the book. And He set, brought Pilate out of the position that he was in at that point, and allowed the Jews to go under Roman oppression and Roman servitude to make sure Pilate was in power and that Christ could be brought before Pilate and that all these things could go on. It's the extension of the power of God and a testimony of the fact that He has power above all other powers. He's the supreme power. The word to use here, even though it's not necessarily in the Word of God in so many words, but the word to use here is sovereign. That God is sovereign. Now we don't like that word in our day because people have run off and left field with it and made it to be a dirty word, but it ain't. The word sovereign means He has all power and He asks of nobody and He answers to nobody. He's above everybody. We serve a sovereign God and He's still on the throne and He has that position above all and He has that power over all. But you cannot have a throne and have a position and have power and not have a people. When you have a throne and you're at rule, it means that you're ruling over a people. And it ought to thrill our heart this morning that we are the people. He's on the throne. He's still in His position. He still has all His power. And He's ruling over all His people. And the reality is He's ruling power-wise over all people. All nations of men over all the earth, they're all under His power. And they're all under His position. But there are a select few. The Bible said, many there be which go in the broad way that leads to destruction. But He said, there's a narrow way that leadeth to life and few there be that find it. And thank God there's a few that not only are subject to His power, but are willing to be so. There's a lot of people out there that would fight against you if you were to go out there and tell them that they are subject to the power of God, that they are underneath the authority of a supreme being, of a sovereign God in heaven, that is the ruler of all the heavens and the earth, they would fight against that and try to deny it, but they can deny all they want to deny. It still doesn't change the fact that He is ruler of all heaven and all earth. But thank God this morning that there's a willingness and an obedience burnt down inside the people of God that we are happy and joyful this morning to be subject to the authority and the power of the one ruling over us. Because we're bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And there's a joy in us. It ought to. And I don't know if I can convey it this morning. I feel like I'm doing a poor job of preaching of what's on my heart. But it ought to produce a joy in us. I don't know the God that is sovereign, that it's in position over everything, that has all power in heaven and earth, that we identify with Him. But not only that, but that He identifies with us. And we are His people 
the psalmist said, and the sheep of His pasture. Let us come before His presence with singing. Oh yeah. Into His courts with thanksgiving. And I thought about this morning. All the people are using the bad news and the hard times to produce discouragement and despair among the people of God. But I come this morning to tell you there's some news worth hearing. And that's that He's on the throne. And that's the main thing. Without that, I couldn't tell you any of these other things. But I feel like I ought to this morning tell you that because He's on the throne, it means that sinners still have hope. Oh yeah. They can be rescued. That's what was on my heart. That's a word that come to my heart from the Lord. And that's what sinners need. They don't need to be read in. They don't need to walk to the altar. They don't need to play some words. They don't need to agree to a set of facts. They don't need to sign a card. They don't need to come to a conscious decision. They need to be rescued. And the first thing that come to my heart, Brother Tim, was that old song in that red back book. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. That's where sinners are. They're on their way down. Down to destruction. Down to damnation. They're on a journey downward and they'll never rise again. But thank God it didn't stop there. He said, but the master of the sea heard my despair and cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Lord lifted me. I'm glad to report to you this morning And if you've got somebody on your heart that you love and care about and they're a sinner and they're seeking in the depths and the depravity and the despair of sin. There's still hope. They can be rescued because He's still on the throne. I'm glad for that. Some news worth hearing, ain't it? And the saints, not only can sinners be rescued, but the saints can be revived. That's some news worth hearing. I'm sick and tired now, I don't mean this bad, and I'm not being mean or hateful or arrogant this morning, but I'm sick and tired of hearing people say we can't have revival in this day. What they need to say as far as they know. But I'm telling you this morning, if He's still on the throne, He said heaven and earth going to pass away, but you're still the same. And if He could revive our forefathers and grandfathers and beyond and on, if He could do it in their day, there's still hope in our day that we can be revived. Because he's still on the throne. The writer said, Wilt thou not revive thy people again that we might rejoice in thee? I'm going to tell you, everybody wants to rejoice, but it's going to take revival before there comes any rejoicing. The word revival or revive, it means to restore to strength, it means to bring back from sickness or from infirmity or from lameness. And that's about where we are in our day, where the church is laying on the sick bed, and we become so anemic because of all the things that are going on in our day. But I'm glad there's hope for us to be revived. Saints can be revived because He's still on the throne. Sinners can be rescued. <coughs> the straying can be restored. That's what's on my heart. I'm just kidding. I got one more, and I'm done. I'm glad there's restoration. We're, in a, we're living in a church world today 
of rejection. We don't want to help those. We don't want, we have lost sense of restoration, but it's a Bible doctrine to restore. And God has to be the one to do the restoration. But when God restores, He expects His people to follow suit. If God forgives them and God brings them back to restoration, He expects people to follow suit. When the prodigal came back and the father went running, who's the type of God the father? And went running and fell on his neck and kissed him. He expected that the elder brother, who's the type of the church, to follow suit. But the elder brother is much like the church of our day. And he did not follow suit. He got upset that his brother was come back. He got upset because of what his brother had done. And in reality, he ended up worse off than his brother ever was. He missed out on the Father's blessing. He missed out on fellowship. He missed out on food around the table because he would not restore his brother. I'm afraid the people of God are missing out on a lot of things because we won't restore our brethren back to fellowship. If they have repented and God has worked His work in them, then we really have no choice. But if we're going to be right with God, we have no choice but to restore them to fellowship. Now there can be no restoration without repentance. But if they come repenting and God forgives them and brings them back into His fellowship, then we should follow our Father, our ruler, and forgive and restore as He does. There's hope for that. It doesn't look like there's much hope, but there is hope because God's still on the throne. And then I want to say this morning I'm done. Because He's still on the throne, the sufferers can rejoice. That's two things we don't put together very much. Suffering and rejoicing. But they are inseparable in New Testament doctrine if we are suffering as a Christian. If we are suffering for the cause of Christ, then we are to rejoice. The scripture said, Happy are ye, because the power of God resteth on you. You say, Preacher, what's that got to do with anything? Well, here's what's on my heart, and I'm done. The reason we can rejoice in our suffering is that we know that God's still on the throne. He's still working all things according to the counsel of His will, and all things are working together for good. And so we know that it is, if He's on the throne, nothing has caught Him by surprise. Nothing, somebody wrote a song said nothing can get to me except it come through His hand. And that's exactly right. And so if we know that He's on the throne and all power and all position and we're His people and He's working all things together for our good, then we can rejoice in suffering knowing that God has brought us to this point to work His will in us and make us more like Christ. That's His will. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of His dear Son and He's going to use this suffering. Peter said it's more, much more precious than gold tried in the fire. The suffering, the trial of your faith is much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Tangible things of this world that we put so much value on, Peter said they cannot even compare to what God is doing in you while you suffer. Paul said it's how we know Him. It's how we come into greater fellowship. It's through the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. 
None of us, I don't know about you, I don't like to suffer. I don't know anybody that likes to suffer. But we can rejoice this morning in our suffering because we know that He's still on the throne. And He's working His will and His way in us. I don't know if you've got anything out of it this morning, but it's on my heart to tell you about some news worth hearing. I'm glad there is some. I'm glad He's still in control. I'm glad nothing has ever caught God by surprise and never will. And I don't know. Everybody's already hung up on what's going to happen next year. With our, and I, I mean, my heart bleeds for our country. I, I, you know, I see here and see all this stuff going on overseas. But I don't spend all my day worrying about that because He's on the throne. I know regardless of what happens, God will still be in charge and will still be in authority and He'll take care of us. I'm not saying it might not get bad. It's probably, according to Scripture, it's going to get worse. But we can't focus on that. If we focus on that, we'll live defeated and discouraged all the time. What we must focus on is that regardless of how bad it gets, it'll never change the fact that He's still on the throne and that everything will be alright in the end for the people of God. Father, I thank You, Lord, this morning for the privilege and the opportunity to have been in your house with your people. Thank you for each one that's come this way. 